everyone. Welcome back to the Tectonic Takes podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Ornelas, and with me today we have a guest goes by Saz. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Ivan. Just uh, good to see you. Excited to talk about the game. Great win. I was at the stadium, actually, so I'm still actually kind of buzzing from the game. Uh, it feels like a lot of people were at the game. One of the few times where I can't go this season, but I'm looking forward to going to the next game against Seattle. Um, but I'm glad you had a good time, and it was one of the best performances of the season for the San Jose Quakes. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like it. And then, of course, like a full stadium, just everyone cheering every little thing, especially when you're winning. It, it felt great. So when you're not, you've helped out on this podcast before, and we've contributed back and forth between Tectonic Takes and your uh, projects. Tell the audience a little bit about what you do if, in case they've missed your previous appearance. Uh, yeah, I just, I have a podcast over myself, uh, Aftershock SJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just me and my friend Jacob, we started it. Uh, I've been wanting to do something for a while and I decided to do it during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just for fun or just uh, for college and for future jobs. Jacob's gone back to college now. Oh, so, uh, it's actually just me working on it currently, but yeah, it's just, I like to think of it more as like friends talking at a bar, just having yeah. a good time laughing about the game more than super in-depth analysis. Yeah. Where does Jacob go? Uh, he goes to UC Davis. He's, oh. uh, he's also <laughs> applying to law school right now. So I graduated from UC Davis class of 2017. So small world oh. here. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's great. I'm wishing Jacob best of luck there. And uh, when you're not doing podcasting, where are some things you like to do uh, elsewhere? Oh, man. I mean, I just <laughs> I like living life. Uh, there playing, we go. Yeah. Learning instruments, learning how to dance. Uh, I love movies, uh, soccer, obviously sports, just hanging out with friends, just doing really whatever. Yeah, that sounds a lot like what I like to do. I mean, sports are a big part of my life, but at the same time, if my friends are like, hey, you want to catch a movie or catch a concert or something, then that's great. Of course, once things get back to normal, we'll be doing that with more regularity. But and as you can see, those of you watching the YouTube video, I'm wearing my usual Quakes hat, but also I was wearing my Raiders jersey Uh, moments before we started recording uh, Raiders won in overtime against the Miami Dolphins and around the same time as that the A's hit a walk-off a home run or scored a walk-off run to beat the Astros so A's won Raiders won and the Quakes won I'm even more hyped as usual for this podcast and for those of you who are watching who are 49ers and Giants fans don't worry I'm sure you'll have your time uh Giants uh are doing great as well 49ers uh, play later tonight as we're recording this a little before Sunday night football uh did you catch any of the game says uh, I don't uh, football and baseball aren't really my sports, so I don't. Oh, okay. Those, but uh, I you'll see the occasional highlights on Bleacher Report, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's hard to avoid in the Bay Area, but you know everyone's at different levels of commitment. But when it comes to soccer, no doubt you're committed to them. That's why you're here with us, and yeah. we're going to discuss this latest matchup between two MLS clubs from the state that's untouchable, like Elliot Ness. And I say that because I felt feeling the name of this podcast episode usually i don't have a name until after i record but it's california no love loss instead of california love the famous song it's no love lost between lafc and san jose earthquakes and it's a topic we're going to explore this triangle rivalry that could be happening here where we've seen it in the premier league there's chelsea tottenham and arsenal and even in mls you have portland seattle and vancouver where those rivalries are definitely mutual three-way, whereas 
right now we have the Cali Classico with San Jose Earthquakes and LA Galaxy. That is one of the league's oldest rivalries. And then you have LAFC and LA Galaxy. LAFC being a newer team, uh, it's a more recent rivalry, but you got El Trafico. It's got a nice name. The games have been very heated. And that rivalry is very well established within the few years that LAFC have been here. Uh, LAFC and San Jose Earthquakes, at times, they have a bit of a relationship. The frenemy, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And yeah. in a way, they're frenemies in that sense. But these games for San Jose Earthquakes, doesn't matter what LA team they're facing, like there's some passion there. And LAFC, they take a lot of pleasure in beating us as well. So I feel like there could be a potential rivalry brewing there as well. Yeah, I mean, it's always the the Bay versus LA, right? It doesn't really yes. Hashtag beat LA. <laughs> Yeah, what music it is, what sport it is, just what mm-hmm. it is in general. It's always Bay versus LA. So there's always going to be that rivalry uh, that comes along with it. And uh, personally, I hate LAFC with a mm-hmm. burning passion. Just it's so it's just it's everything that's wrong with American soccer. Yeah. And it's just it's so fake. Like the perfect example I have to explain why LAFC is like, don't get me wrong. You go to the stadium. They're super loud. It's super fun. They've done well. But to show why everything is wrong that club usually hear chants like, Oh, like Mo Salah, Mo Salah running down the wing, Egyptian King, right? You mm-hmm. have all these famous chants for players to motivate them. And like to talk about the club history one week before LAFC had ever played their first game, you have fans outside the stadium singing about the club. What, what are you singing about? It's one week before <laughs> you've ever played your first game. Right. And then it's just, you buy all these players. It's like uh, hockey. And I think it's the, the golden Knights, uh, where they just come in and they just buy everyone. So it's, 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 it's very frustrating. So anytime we can give them a nice uh, butt woman, it's uh, it always feels nice. Yeah. LAFC are definitely emblematic of this newest wave of MLS clubs. Uh, the clubs that are coming into MLS, you're not seeing Seattle Sounders, Philadelphia Union, Vancouver Whitecaps, or in one case, Montreal Impact. In fact, that club is now CF Montreal. So you're getting a lot of these more European-centric names. And even before those clubs, we still had uh, a rebrand such as Dallas Burns, FC Dallas, and uh, Kansas City Wizards, supporting Kansas City. So it's not necessarily a completely new trend, but it's essentially become a standard if say Sacramento Republic did end up becoming an MLS club. It wouldn't surprise me if they were told or the ownership decided, okay, we're going to have to add Sacramento Republic FC at the very least. Like that's going to be in the title. I believe it is anyway, or they might even drop the Republic and be Sacramento FC, which would suck because I've been to Sacramento Republic games and part of that identity that unique name has become ingrained with the fan culture there and I believe a lot a little bit of that is lost even though you go to an Atlanta United game and they pack a huge stadium they share with the Atlanta Falcons and they're one of the best fan bases in the league it's still different I I think what some people have to realize is we are in America (laughs) very like capitalist and they really just they don't care. They don't care. A perfect example is one of the main commercials you saw most of last year is it's soccer, not football. Mm-hmm. 19 of our teams, I believe, have FC in their name, which stands for football club. Yeah. Right. It's not <laughs> SC soccer club. And you can see it across all sports. 
for example, this season, New England Revolution are killing it. Mm -hmm. Rarely, I mean, you see the highlights of the Matt Turner save versus uh, Nanny, but that's because he's an American goalkeeper. But you don't really see many highlights from the season, even though they're killing the league. You've seen probably quite a few LAFC highlights this season. They're not doing too hot. It's because LA is a big market. Who cares about Mm -hmm. New England, right? It's the same thing with the Utah Jazz last season. Killed it in the regular season. But like LeBron said, none of us played as the Utah Jazz growing up, right? Yeah. It's not a big market team. <laughs> They're not going to get the attraction. So as much as I, I want to sit here and argue for it as well, like, because there's culture and like I've grown up watching the European game where there's love and passion. It is at the end of the day, a market here. And that's what's so frustrating about it. All right. Hopefully, regardless of the changes that MLS uh, decides to make in terms of rebrands of existing clubs and the clubs that they do create and or admit to the league from lower divisions. San Jose Earthquakes, it's got to stay San Jose Earthquakes. And that's what we're talking about today. Uh, their lineup for this game, they lined up in a 4-2-3-1. JT Marcinkowski in goal. Luciano Bacasis, Nathan, Alanis, and Lopez, you're back four. Jutson and Remedy, you're holding midfielders with Espinoza and Trophies on the wings. Jackson Ewell and Cam. Benji Kakanovich getting a start. And then your youth subs were Tommy Thompson, Shea Salinas, Keg Cal, and Chris Wondolowski. No Ebobise still. And Tanner Beeson was added to the absences due to a left thigh injury. But we got Salinas back. So it sucks. Those are still two important players uh, we are missing, at least for this game. But the addition of Shea Salinas is important because as you can see with when Shea Salinas and Tommy Thompson entered the game in the last 10, 15 minutes, it was already 2-0 for a while now. Those are experienced players. Uh, Shea Salinas approaching the end of his career. Tommy Thompson still has plenty to go, but they have the experience to see results like this out. Uh, your thoughts with the lineup? Um, I've been saying it for a while. I think Yule needs to be dropped from the starting lineup. I've just, I haven't, been seeing the performances I need to be seeing from him. I like having uh, Jutsen and Ramadi as the two holding midfielders. You'll sense the international break has just, he's looking lack of confidence. I thought this was actually a better game, but just delivery still looking for a uh, poor, sorry. Uh, seeing a lot of back passes. It's a, it's a classic American six. Michael I, Bradley. I how, yeah, yeah. I, exactly. <laughs> I don't know how it got developed. They just check to the center back, play him back, maybe some side ball. And the only time they play forward is for an over to the top ball. That usually isn't too great. Uh, I actually have been advocating for trophies to be the attacking mid and I don't like him as much out wide, but these last couple games, as we've seen the man's on fire. So you can keep that how it is. Uh, also been advocating to get Benji in the starting lineup for quite a while now. And both times he's, there we go. (laughs) He's obviously doing quite a good job. And, uh, also a little side note, fun fact, I was sitting next to, uh, Benji's like either like family or oh, yeah Bos- yeah or the bosnian fan club yeah. it was everyone was in bosnian jerseys had the flag and when he scored i'm letting you know the bar almost had to shut down because everyone was <laughs> going crazy wow it was great to see yeah that was incredible um i think i said this on twitter uh benji kakanovich has maximized his opportunities with the sounds of earthquakes he yep. deserves more of them but the ones he's gotten so far like Omeo can't ask for much more from him, given this is his first professional uh, soccer season. So he's been hit the ground running and he's contributing in a very important time of the season. And that's what you hope to get from every player, but especially a player who hasn't always played every game. I, I also think 
there's two names that uh, were really important here, and they're two mm-hmm. names you didn't mention: Fierro and Rios. Oh, did not yeah. didn't see him. Now, I, I we've been very critical of our aftershock about Fierro and Rios. Mm-hmm. We, I have come to the conclusion where I like Rios as a sub because I think the game slows down and his holdup play can help us sometimes. It's Fierro, the one that's it's starting to kill me. I, there's been times where he's made substitution appearances late in the game. And again, it's when the game slows down. I think it's better to suit his style of play. But when he's in the starting lineup, I, I just feel like it hurts us more than it helps us. Yeah, Rios's days as a starter should be over with. And Fierro, I think for me, it, there's still room for that. But now that you brought up Rios, it's a good time to mention this tweet that uh, our good friend Nico brought to our attention. It's from Stuart Berman at Quakes Fan Stew. He's good for a few of these every game. And this is what he had to say. Make of this what you will, but there have been nine games this season where Andy Rios has played fewer than 10, ga- 10 minutes for the San Jose Earthquakes. In those games, the Quakes have five wins, one loss, and three draws. So quick math, that's 18 points. And that's over half of the points that they've earned this season. Two wins and one tie in games he doesn't play at all. Seven out of a possible nine points in such games. So I know Favi in particular has a soft spot for Andy Rios, and I still do as well. But those numbers, uh, they're pretty telling, and they're consistent with the eye test. Yeah, but I'm very critical of Rios. I'm oh, as yeah. critical as you're going to find. Uh, I will say in his defense to those numbers – We've had quite a few injuries this season. Yeah. And that doesn't really highlight which games he hasn't played in. Now, a game like this, he doesn't play in. It's a very big game, big three points. Maybe it means something. But also, maybe he didn't play in a game where it's versus Austin and we should have easily got a win. That doesn't highlight necessarily everything for me. Now, I think there probably is some truth to those stats, but also on the other side of the coin, maybe there's some more in-depth we could look into that. And this does tell me because... We have a midweek game uh, at home to Seattle Sounders, and then three days after that, they play the Vancouver Whitecaps. So for the outfield players that were not used on the bench, those two, as well as Jack Scan and Paul Marie, I think we might see them at least off the bench in one of those next two games. So Almeida only used four of his allotted five substitutions. Granted, he only elected to sub on Wondolowski in his third and final substitution window. And Bob Bradley, he only used one substitution window to bring on four of his allotted five substitutions, but he only had seven players on the bench. And the three players left off the bench were spare goalkeepers, Pablo Cisniega and Jamal Blackman. Congratulations, Jamal. After about a decade in Chelsea's lone army, you escaped to LAFC. And the veteran defender, Jordan Harvey, who, you know, he wasn't going to change the game from the bench anyway. So... I think that the coaches are being very tactical about these substitutions under normal circumstances. You would only have three subs, so you'd be making some different decisions. But I am usually of the belief that it only benefits you to use all five of your substitutions in most games because you're keeping more players happy by playing as many players as possible, and you are giving more players rest but if you opt to only use three or four of your substitutions, you're also providing rest for players who are still left on the bench with the plan of potentially using them for one of the next few games coming up. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'll start with LAFC. Uh, yeah. I, I really don't like Bob Bradley. So that's yeah. <laughs> fuel yeah. for fire. Few people uh, do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
that that's someone who really isn't working with a lot, even though I know they've bought everyone. They are players out on loan, players out on injury, this, that, the other. He, uh, yeah. I forget who it was, but one of the subs, it might be a blessing. Uh, just, he came up, I feel like he lit us up. He had the chip over JT, thankfully hit the crossbar. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I didn't really see too many tactical changes. Uh, I've had two kind of critiques of Almeida, even though I think he's a very good coach or I've had three, but two of them applied today. Um, sometimes with the starting lineup, just like I question it, but I can't, I don't argue with that too much because I've been a coach myself. It's his yeah. mindset. I have to respect it. Uh, his decision to make substitutions though. The last couple of games has been very good when to choose to sub and honestly who to choose to sub. But sometimes when we're down a goal and then I see either defenders or Rios coming in, I'm like, God, right. And seriously, like, yeah, yeah. Cause we'll have Benji and we'll have Espinosa maybe on the bench. And it's like, we have options. Um, my problem with him this game was we, we weren't going to see the ball. We never really do, but there was a spell where it wasn't looking as creative. It wasn't looking dynamic. Um, and it just really looked like they were knocking on the door for something to come. And I feel like something needed to be changed. And it took another 20 minutes before we got a sub in. And it's just, sometimes I want to see those subs a little bit earlier. And obviously I, I can't complain too much because he got the result. It ended up good. And we got the clean sheet, but sometimes in future we can get the subs. With that being said, though, he did make a change to go to a five-back once the substitutions came in or a three-back, however you want to look at it. Yeah. And it, it was a tough decision because Tanner Beeson was out, so we had to move to Abicostas to center back, which is a bold move, uh, and it paid off in the long run. So, again, you can't really complain when it's going well. Right. And I think being 2-0 up, which is in a position that San Jose Fleeks have found themselves in too often this season, it did give them a bit more time to – see how it panned out and sort of run out the clock a little bit and then use your substitutions in the 75th minute and later. So it worked out this time, but those are the tactical decisions that they pay Almeida for and it worked out and good for him. For LAFC's lineup, even though they were missing quite a lot of people, uh, we've seen them play a couple times against the Quakes, of course, and then I've also seen LAFC perform well despite some absences and other points of the season. So it's a team that despite Bob Bradley's coaching at times that players who aren't their usual starters have managed to step up. So I didn't take them lightly. They had Thomas Romero in gold, the homegrown Salvadoran. Then they had Mamadou Fall, Jesus Murillo, Sebastian Ibeaga, and Kim Moon Juan as their back line. Their midfield three consisted of Francisco Hinella, Daniel Cristosimo, Diego Palacios, and then their uh, cam was Jose Cifuentes, and then they had strike par partnership of former Quakes uh, player Danny Muzovsky and Christian Arango. And they brought on Marco Farfan, uh, Raheem Edwards, Latif Blessing, and Bryce Duke uh, off the bench. And their injury list consists of Mahalo Poku, Eduardo Eddie Segura, Eric Duenas, Carlos Vela, Julian Gaines. Alvaro Casada, Tristan Blackman. So that's seven players who are out for sure. And then two other players, Eduardo Atuesta and Brian Rodriguez, who are questionable and eventually didn't make the bench either. So that's nine players. A squad is usually 25 players. So a third of your team is out. They were really, uh, they struggled to just get their starting 11 and the minimum bench out for this one. So uh, what did you think of LAFC's team? I mean, you got a feel for them, especially as a yeah. earthquake fan. We, we've kind of 
seeing the that side of it of being injured and having to struggle and really working with the scraps but that's part of being a professional player that's part mm-hmm. of being a championship team staying healthy mm-hmm. there's some players who you look at and they're average gareth barry james milner but they're just athlete. i mean shay salinas look at him too like you don't really see anything that's super stand out about them they're not the craftiest player you've ever seen they're just probably above average to the compare player but they stay healthy they're mr reliable you can count on them LAFC don't have that right now. And maybe they do. Maybe it's all these deep runs in the playoffs without making a conference final. I'd like to add uh, that is maybe hurting them after in their like fourth year now. But uh, again, I hate LAFC. So I really don't feel that. Yeah. Bad for them. <laughs> yeah I'm glad you mentioned uh, Gareth Barry. Uh, even a lot of uh, diehard Premier League fans forget about him, despite he's made six, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 653. I, I just pulled this up. So I'm not this uh, genius when it comes to yeah, random kill say, trivia, yeah. 653 Premier League appearance, which is the record. And it's unlike another Gareth B like he's been very consistent and available. So that's just an incredible stat there, yeah, but you're right. 600 club. Yeah. And this was going to be a bit of a different game because for the first time in a while, no Carlos Vela, no Diego Rossi, no Eduardo Tuesta, and there's no more Mark Anthony K because he's now a Colorado Rapids player. So this does feel like if a lot of these players who weren't available today, they decide to move on in the next year or two, whether it's their decision or whether it's the club trying to force them out for whatever reason, maybe they decide, okay, our current project to win the MLS club isn't working with this core we're going to have to blow it up sooner rather than later, then we're looking at a lot of players in this game that could be the future of this uh, LAFC. Players like uh, Tomas Romero, Francisco Hinella, yet another Uruguayan for Fabi to fanboy over, uh, Jose Cifuentes, and Christian Arango has looked a little sharp. I think he's been a decent pickup for him, them, but um, thankfully we kept the clean sheet. Uh, we got goals from Benji Kakanovic, which Chofis assisted in the third minute. And then Chofis scored a goal himself, assisted by Marcos Lopez to make it 2-0 right after the break. And I think goal scoring wise, you, you got to be happy with how those goals came up. And also the timing of those goals is also helpful too. Yeah. Uh, just go back quickly on what you're yeah. saying about the future of LAFC. I, the problem with MLS is a future could be two, three years, unless you're a club like Seattle, who's really built something. Most mm-hmm. clubs, you look in two or three years, it's a completely new roster. Mm-hmm. And I think another problem is uh, they don't have a coach. Yeah. Right? This, <laughs> this is just beyond me not liking Barbali. He spent all of five minutes in uh, England before they shipped him back because they realized he couldn't coach. Yeah. LAFC have got a squad. Uh, I, I forget the right back's name, but I've watched a couple games. That kid has a Tristan lot Tristan Blackman? Uh, no, the South Korean. Oh, yeah. It's uh, Kim Moon Hwan. Yes, he, he's got skill in every game. They're just not utilizing him, right? It's There's a lot of players on the team that's just they're not being utilized. And I think it, I would love to see the Bradleys gone. But uh, moving on to what you said, uh, there's actually a – according to everyone who was at the game, we believe there was a third goal. Uh, <laughs> just about everyone in the stadium believed uh, Eric Romedi had scored that header. because, And I was sitting behind the goal where he hit it. It really looked like it clearly didn't go in, but like it, everyone in the stadium thought it went in. And for about 20 seconds, we were celebrating and confused why the game didn't <laughs> stop. And we were also, I was saying it like 
I actually am really sad he didn't score because he's someone who works his butt off and runs hard, doesn't score often, would love to see him bag one in front of the home fans. Uh, but yeah, just great to see goals again. Uh, trophies, the man on fire, absolute dime of a ball to Benji Kikanovic. And then perfectly placed shot uh, against the keeper's momentum so that he wouldn't be able to dive back to go and save it. It was lovely to see. And two things that kind of get brought up with the players that were involved in all this. Uh, one was with Benji Kikanovic, and I was mentioning the difference between when he's on the field and kind of Cade Cal versus when Wando and Fierro on the field is even when they're not having the best games, they have a little bit of spark to them. They have a bit of electricity. They have this speed, the pace, this youth, and then just excitement to play. And maybe it's just better legs at this stage in the careers, but it feels like there's chances. So even when they're not playing well, they're creating spaces for us and they're creating opportunities and they're getting the balls. They're challenging defenders. I feel like we don't get those with Fierro and Wando. And then also, I think the unsung hero of this match, uh, which arguably could be JT Marquinhos because he made a couple of good saves, I think it was Marcus, uh, Marcos Lopez. Mm-hmm. I, I, in the stadium, I have mentioned in the last two games, but this game highlights it perfectly. I've never, I don't want to say never seen a better fullback performance because I definitely have, but it's just his positioning is elite. To be able to be in the attack, but also not have to be caught uh, tracking back pretty much, Mm-hmm. Uh, went on defense is incredible. I, a good example is uh, DeAndre Yedlin for the national team. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. his best defensive quality is that he's really fast. So when he get, when he's got caught up and they're exposing his side, he has his pace to get back. Marcus Lopez finds a way to be in the attack, get in the cross, and then as the counterattack's happening, already be back in the left pack position. He gave a lovely ball for the goal. He was winning challenges. He was going in hard. He had one silly foul, but you know you get frustrated. Stuff happens. Yeah. It's ninety minutes. We're not going to be perfect. I just thought he played an outstanding game. Clearly, Trophies gets man of the match, goal and assist. But Marcus Lopez was the unsung hero for me, and I feel he deserved way more credit than he got that game. All right, we can go a little bit out of order then. And I will agree with you that uh, Trophies is my man of the match as well, the player of the match. And uh, in the poll, they overwhelmingly agree with us that Trophies got 71% of our votes uh, that we received on that poll. Benji was the next highest with 17%. Marcos Lopez was in third with 8%. And then Judson got the rest of the 4% of those uh, player of the match uh, results. And like you said, JT Marcinkowski as well uh, did very well in keeping the clean sheet. Mm-hmm. And Marcos Lopez is an incredible player for his position. I think yeah, if he can stay the rest of the season healthy and continue to play consistently, he'll establish himself as one of the top uh, left backs in the league just on his production offensively and his versatility and his overall consistency. Yeah. I mean, it was just great to see uh, a little bit more defensive and this really showed like if we're healthy, we have some great squad rotation. Abby Casas offers us a little more defense. I think Lopez should be the starting fullback. Anyways, if we want a little more offense, throw Tommy Thompson in the lineup. We have these options and, we really saw it with Lopez being healthy because now we don't have to force Marie to go to one side, maybe Thompson to go to the other side. We get to see people more in their natural positions and getting to play their game. And uh, this actually brings me back to another point I want to make was uh, with Kikanovic, uh, he's really checking to the ball and making these runs. I, and Alanis is great at spraying the ball. I can't even name how many times during the game I noticed that Alanis would play a long ball up to Benji and then we would get an attack from it, whether he gets the through ball through it or he can play someone out wide or if he can collect it to his chest. It was a great connection, and I believe one of them might have even led to the eventual uh, second goal. Yeah, and 
I want to take a look at some of the stats, and it definitely surprised me to see uh, how it panned out. So LAFC outshot the San Jose Earthquakes 13 to 7. They had three shots on target to Quakes 2. LAFC had 52% of the possession. They had slightly better passing accuracy of 75% compared to Quakes 73%. LAFC created two chances. Quakes created one. LAFC had three corners. Quakes had zero. That's a little bit concerning. Fouls had 17. San Jose Earthquakes had 17 fouls. LAFC had 21. Technically, we beat them in the stat. Obviously, we had less of it. Uh, San Jose Earthquakes, two offsides to their one. And then with the yellow cards, Earthquakes players received four of them, and LAFC received three of them. Uh, So what do you think of those stats? Um, I think it's a, this is a prime example of stats don't show the game. Uh, Absolutely. There were, time, there were times, and I think uh, around the 60th to 80th minute, or maybe 60th to 70th minute, 50, 70, somewhere around there, yeah. where LAFC probably was dominating a bit. That was but, their best spell. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, uh, that's not our style of soccer. That's not our style of football. Like, mm-hmm. we, we, we don't possess the ball, and if we do, it's usually not too pretty. We play long ball. We play explosive counterattacking soccer, and we – don't always have the prettiest defense, but we usually get the job done mm-hmm. somehow. That's how we like to do it. And if you just think, oh, I'm just saying this, look at Atletico Madrid, who won La Liga last year, right? Yeah. And you could argue Real Madrid and Barcelona were as strong as ever. Atletico have been playing that style for a long, a long time. They've made two Champions League finals in the past so like seven years. They're teams that play this defensive style and they counterattack. Just because you don't, just because you're holding the ball for a long time doesn't mean you're doing anything with it, right? A lot of the time LAFC had the ball, it was between their back line and maybe their midfielders. It wasn't like they had the ball most of the time in their attackers and midfielders. So we're doing a good job of holding them off, holding down the block and just pushing out wide. And then we got our chances when we got them. We, and that's a big thing with the earthquakes. And that's a big thing in soccer. People don't realize capitalizing on your chances. That's the difference. LAFC for sure could have won the game if they capitalized the chip on JT, the one that hit the side net a little bit earlier there. And then there's probably another two or three, but we capitalized our chances. Benji gets his goal. I mean, Benji could have got another one or two. Trophies gets his one. Romani could have got his, but we ended up capitalizing on two. They ended up capitalizing on none. So end of the day, the stats can say whatever they want, but the most important stat on there is the three points. Yeah, that's what it all comes down to. We're in the results business uh, in my aptly uh, themed uh, jersey. Just win, baby. That's what we need to do right now. Get the three points any which way, especially against the Seattle Sounders. One of the worst feelings of of the last several years and probably my whole time being an MLS fan has been going to play the Sounders, particularly when you get nothing from your previous game. Because the Sounders, they don't show sympathy. They don't care if you had a bad game. They're going to make the next game just as bad, if not worse. So quick... So definitely need to get this win. And they also needed it for the same reason as they are directly competing with LAFC for that last playoff spot. So this is a very important game and glad we were on the right side of it. Do you have any other thoughts on this game before we uh, move on to the fantasy league update? Uh, no, I think this, I think it's very important. Uh, just kind of combine this game and the next game and my thoughts uh, other than the Seattle game, the remaining games we are playing are mostly between spots five through 10. So, and though all those teams were give or take within six points, that's a rough estimate. I don't have the exact results in front of me, but when we last checked, that's what it is. So these are must win games. Cause not only are we getting three, we're stopping other teams from getting three points. 
Now, the Seattle game, when I did the math, is the only game we can really afford to lose. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to win some other games. A tie would be huge points here. If we can somehow scrape out a win, hallelujah, praise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Praise Crazy George. It is crazy. Uh, I'm not really expecting a win. I just don't want a whooping. Uh, Again, a tie would be great. Uh, But after this, it's got to be win, win, win. And getting that squad rotation, make sure we're healthy so we can get in the playoffs. And also finding a consistent lineup. And it looks like we're all starting to come back. So maybe we could say Goonies don't never say die. One Goonies never say die. Yeah, that's for sure. Throwing the needle a little bit because of you can look back at some of the games earlier this season. Uh, wins that became draws, draws that became losses. But uh, yeah. at the same time, you got to look forward and work with what you have. And with the fantasy league, uh, Isla Nubar, Nublar Raptors destroyed me this week. Congratulations to you. Uh, we were tied 18 to four uh, behind the 20 and two soccer gods and 19 to three teams of St. Wando and El Sobranta FC. But I'll probably drop to 17 and five where there's a bit of a log jam of teams there. So we'll see how it goes. We're heading to the home stretch of the actual season, of course, and then the fantasy season. So we're looking forward to crowning our winners and we'll have something to reward your efforts uh, to be determined at a later date. Uh, as for some of the recent results, I'll just pick out some of the more interesting ones. Uh, Nashville beat Inter Miami 5-1. to one. For a team that gets labeled as boring sometimes, Nashville uh, have been able to score a bit more goals this season. Good for them. Uh, we had the first leg of two games uh, between the Hudson River Derby rivals. In the first game on Wednesday, uh, New York Red Bulls and New York City tied 1-1. But then on Saturday, New York Red Bulls got a 1-0 win over New York City in Yankee Stadium. So four points out of six against your rivals, not bad. And then the last of the midweek results that I want to mention is Club Leon beat Seattle Sounders 3-2 in the League's Cup Finals at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Sounders, I think, let winnable games slip. I think it's obviously nowhere near as important as winning the CONCACAF Champions League, but it would have been nice. Yeah, I think all of MLS would have liked to see that. Just yeah. As a one time, you kind of all unite and put your differences aside, right? Right. <laughs> Unless it's the Galaxy. In that case, like, go Leon X team. <laughs> yeah, but... Anyway, uh, I said uh, last week, and I wrote about this too, regardless of what happened in that game, MLS, they've been winning battles, but Liga MX are winning wars, and they're going to continue to feel like the stronger the two leagues, even if they don't win all-star games because they're winning the most prestigious tournament in CONCACAF. So that's still the goal for MLS. We'll see they'll get another chance next year and, like, you know, Hope springs eternal, but now on to more MLS games. We have Philadelphia Union getting an important 1-0 win over Atlanta United. That'll make a big impact for them in the league table, which I'll show in a sec. New England Revolution, they just win games no matter what as well. That just win baby mentality, that's what they've adopted in uh, the New England region. They beat Chicago Fire 3-2 from a losing position, and then they also took care of business against Orlando City. Uh, Would you say New England Revolution are the favorites to win the MLS Cup, or does part of you still think this is the revolution we're talking about? The rug will get pulled from underneath them at some point. 
Um, in American sports, it's always never. It's it's almost never safe to root for that first seed. Yeah, they always find a way to choke. Um, they they seem to be the real deal this year. They yeah. seem to be on the hot streak. Matt Turner is having a breakout season, uh, both for the national team and for his club. And a lot of people probably can't name another player on the New England Revolution other than Matt Turner. And I think that's actually a good sign. If you have a bunch <laughs> of players that are quote-unquote nobodies and you're dominating the league, that's probably good. Now, again, probably part of that is uh, we're in the U.S. and they're not going to capitalize it. We have Inter-Miami who's getting talked about every week. Meanwhile, they're terrible. And then <laughs> you have Orlando. Anytime Nani does anything, it, it's God's gift to earth. So <laughs> it's, it's going to be hard to root against them. You know Seattle's always going to pull through on the other side of the table. So it's going to be, and that's another thing we haven't seen in MLS uh, because of COVID. We haven't seen those cross uh, conference battles. We don't know if the East. They've been very rare this season. Yeah. Yeah. You get the occasional one, right? Yeah. You don't get the like constant two or three games. You really get to feel out how one side of the conference is better than the other. Now one may seem more competitive and one may seem better on paper, but it's MLS. Think about when we just played Austin, we should have mollywhopped them. And then Mm -hmm. we should have got mollywhopped by RSL. Yeah. Same scorelines, obviously different results, but that's MLS. Anything could happen. So it would have been interesting to see some of those. So you really never know how it's going to turn out, but I think they are going to be one of the favorites this year. Yep. Uh, Last note on the Eastern Conference games of note was Columbus Crew beating Montreal 2-1, to and the defending champions are fighting for their lives just to make it back to the playoffs. So that's been an interesting development. As for some other games in the Western Conference from Saturday, Minnesota beat Houston Dynamo 2-0. Rapids dropped points. Uh, they uh, got a 0-0 draw against Toronto FC. It probably won't spell doom for their playoff hopes, but they might look back on that if they end up in a lower seed. Uh, then Whitecaps beat FC Dallas 1-0. And most impressively, Portland Timbers beat Real Salt Lake 6-1. to And yeah, Timbers are looking like a dire course right now. Yeah, I think I, I said it earlier in the season. They had injuries. They had mm-hmm. some different squad rotation. And you're not going to be the man every year. You're going to get tired. Players are going to get tired. It's been not just soccer-wise, but world-wise, it, it has been a tiring year or two. And I think we can all agree on that. And maybe they're just feeling a little bit more. Now they're having players come back very slowly. They're doing a very smart job of not rushing players back like other clubs have. Oh, yeah. They're starting to make that deep run. And I believe they are going to make the playoffs. And that is one of the squads I am scared of because we have to play them. And they're going to be in our kind of last couple seeds. So we're going to have to knock out multiple teams. I don't see them not making the playoffs, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah. And... I think this game as well, the 1-0 loss against Vancouver, I think that might defang FC Dallas. They are 27 points. They have played more games than their other competitors for the last playoff spot, and they're nine points behind Real Salt Lake. So you can start to maybe put another line beyond the playoff line of like under San Jose Earthquakes, try again next year for the three clubs from Texas at the bottom of the Western Conference. Yeah, it's – depending on whether they lose Pepe or not, that's mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing they can work He's with. He's such a talented player. As, as far as Austin, 
I don't think they're terrible. I'm going to be honest. They've had some injury spells. They're all new. They're trying to work stuff together. Their sta- their stadium is incredible. I, every time I watch a game, I want to go. Like, So I think they have the fan support. I think they just need time to build. It's it's the same. Look at Minnesota. Yeah. They were <laughs> the worst team by far their first year. Yeah. They've been quite Brutal. good since. <laughs> and it's the same thing with MLS. Look at Columbus. They were pretty dominant last year. And mm-hmm. they're getting pretty dominated this year. Yeah. Yes, players move around. Yes, this and this happened. It's MLS. You're gonna have Seattle. You're gonna have two or th- you're gonna have Sporting probably. Yeah. Maybe one or two on the eastern side. Probably an LA team up there. And then roll of the dice for everyone else. All right. So Western Conference standings: Sporting Kansas City, forty-six points. Sounders, forty-five. Rapids in third, also with forty-five. Timbers with forty points. And then. You can start to see the scrum fighting for those playoff spots. LA Galaxy, 38. Minnesota, 37. Real Salt Lake, 36. And then the closest competitors are LAFC, Vancouver, and San Jose, 8th through 10th, all on 33 points. The key there, though, is Vancouver Whitecaps are on 25 games played. LAFC and the Quakes have played 26. Uh, what do you think of the Western Conference standings? It's it's actually very interesting. I haven't looked at the other team schedules, but like I was saying earlier for the Quakes, mm-hmm. most of those teams that are close to us are our only remaining games. We do have Seattle one time, and I believe we have Austin one more time, who are both nowhere near us, <laughs> and one very high on the table and one at the bottom of the table. So, But other than that, everyone is very, very close, which is going to make every game that much more important. Yes, we need the three points always, but if we lose versus Seattle – it's really not going to affect them too much. And obviously going to suck for us, but it's not going to affect that section of the table as much. Now, when we beat LAFC and we're now tied on games in them, now we're losing on goal differential, but we've now beat them. They didn't move up any points and we did move up points. Because mm-hmm. there's been a couple games where we've won and we're like, yes. And then we look at the table and everyone else won. And we're like, mm-hmm. oh, God. So frustrating. Yeah, it, yeah. Something that baseball fans know all too well. The A's win and then the Astros win or then uh, the Red Sox win for the wild card. And then for the Giants fans out there, Dodgers have been on your heels this whole season. So it's no different with the Quakes right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now we'll just briefly go through the Eastern Conference. New England Revolution are in their own tier. They're in first place. Second place and kind of in their own separate tier. Five point gap between them and third. Nashville with 44. And then it gets messy. New York City, 39, Philadelphia, 38, Orlando, 38, and D.C. and Montreal cleaning out the playoff spots, 37 each. And then you have Atlanta, 36, Columbus, 34, Inter, 32, and then I'll draw the line at Red Bulls, 30. So there's four contenders outside the playoff line for the Eastern Conference still trying to make the playoffs. It's not looking good for Chicago Fire, Cincinnati, and Toronto. They're probably looking toward next season at this point. Thoughts on Eastern Conference? Yeah, I mean Toronto's looking forward to next year. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're getting, absolute disaster. Uh, yeah, I believe Giovinco has said he's coming back in January for Toronto. Maybe that was just a rumor I saw, but uh, FC Cincinnati. Yeah, it's you have good fans. Have fun mm-hmm. with that. Uh, Chicago. Yeah. It, they've never re- they had the Schweinsteiger runs, but it was never really the big squads. Hope to build for next year. New York Red Bulls, yes, they've lost some talent. Yeah, they're starting to get a little older, and they're kind of looking at a new squad. I'm going to call it a little bit of a fluke of a season. Maybe they struggle a little bit 
the next one or two seasons, but I, I don't think they have too much to worry about. I, again, I haven't watched their games though. So I don't, and we don't play them this year. So I haven't really got to analyze them too much. Inner Miami, you hear about them every day because it's an inner and it's Miami. David Beckham. David Beckham mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Iguain brothers for some Pizarro, reason. Pizarro, yeah, yeah, the list yeah, goes yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I want them to do well because I, I liked it, what David Beckham's trying to bring. And I like some of the stuff he's done behind the scenes. If you've read up on it a little bit, it's very mm-hmm. interesting how he's trying to build the academies and stuff. So that would be cool to see them do well. Cause then in turn, the better the big club does, the better their smaller clubs do and the better their academies do. And it makes a better overall product. Uh, I'm actually a very big Columbus crew fan. Cause I love save the crew. Like just yes. all that. So. Absolutely. Hashtag save the crew. That was a really yeah. big deal for me as well, because uh, I'm a fan of the league as well as I'm a fan of the sounds of earthquakes and Columbus crew are, are entrenched in MLS history. And yep. it would have been so sad if they were to lose their club there in Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. And then Atlanta have been a little bit on a downward, downward, Projector down so. world spiral yeah yeah so it is going to be a tough race for the end again i don't really care who whoever <laughs> wants to come out of the east whoever wants to lose to us in the final yes that's whoever that's, it can be that's right tectonic yeah. take right there all yeah. right so for upcoming games i'm gonna pick out uh one or two games for the upcoming days that mls is scheduling games that i would probably yeah. keep an eye on and in the case of wednesday september 29th there is a few that I'm going to look at and I will have more of a vested interest in. So for uh, the games today, the one that stood out to me was Sporting Kansas City versus Seattle Sounders. And the Sunday games, I know Chicago Fire and Nashville played earlier today, but I didn't have time to update our standings in my notes. So Sporting Kansas City versus Sounders was the game of the day today. And that's going to tell us a little bit more about two of the strongest teams in Western Conference. I look forward to watching that uh, when I'm done recording. Then on Wednesday, September 29th, there are several big games in the Western Conference. For Dynamo versus Whitecaps, we need Dynamo to win. For RSL versus LA Galaxy, we reluctantly need Galaxy to win. And LAFC versus Timbers, Timbers, please beat LAFC. Uh, And then for Saturday and Sunday, couple games that I find interesting on those days. I think uh, the fixtures on Saturday aren't as enticing for neutrals, but Montreal versus Atlanta is going to be a struggle because both teams are desperately fighting for playoff positioning. So if I had to pick one game, it would be then for Saturday. And then for Sunday, it's a bit more balanced next weekend. You have half the games on Saturday, half the games on Sunday, as opposed to most of the games on Saturday and maybe two or three on Sunday, uh, as has most weekends in MLS. For Sunday, uh, we close out the day with two big games, the El Trafico with LA Galaxy and LAFC, and then another big showdown Western Conference, the Seattle Sounders versus Colorado Rapids. So that gives you a sense of where Seattle Sounders' heads are going to be at against us because we know we ha- we're a good team, but – are we sporting Kansas City or Colorado Rapids good? So far, we haven't proven to be. So Seattle Sounders will try hard to beat us so that if they don't win those next two games, then they will be fine and they will at least solidify home field advantage for the first round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, those are 
those are the two top teams. Of course, you look out for mm-hmm. them every year. Uh, I think it hasn't been mentioned enough how big of a loss uh, Busio was for uh, Sporting Kansas. I legitimately think he is, has the potential to be one of our best midfielders, and I'm talking for the U.S. Mm-hmm. That kid is incredible. I it just I'm so happy he chose the U.S. to play for. Didn't yeah. shine the brightest during the tournaments, but that kid has a future ahead of him. I hope it goes great. And then a uh, quick shout out for the Seattle, uh, Josh Atencio. He's probably not going to play on Wednesday, but I'm friends with his uncle. So, uh, Oh, there you go. Yeah. Nice yeah. Connection. Hopefully he, uh, hopefully he gets a bit of playing time. He, when uh, all the Seattle players were injured, he got some playing time and he actually played very well. He's got some youth national team experience. Uh, that kid is, that kid's going to be very, very good. So it'll hey, be interesting to see. We do a lot of standing players lower in the depth chart on this podcast. I, before one of the quakes games I went to recently, I got a few minutes to speak to Emi Ochoa. Uh, he was okay. practicing uh, uh, on the other side of the fencing by the stadium, and he was really chill. He was signing autographs, taking selfies with kids and stuff. I just wanted to say, uh, you know, it, it's cool that you're doing that, and thanks for being part of the team because every yeah. part of the San Jose Quakes team is valuable, and we appreciate them. Yep. And up next for the Quakes, you hinted out a lot. Well, um I'd be fine with it starting him there, but I think Lopez is just so much stronger there for us, both offensively and defensively. So I want to make sure he is healthy. I don't see Yule getting a call up, but if he mm-hmm. does, hopefully he plays so that his legs are tired and then we can start someone else. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, JT has been playing well. Maybe he gets a surprise call up. You never know, but it's world cup qualifiers. So I really doubt we're going to be seeing any of our players pulled up unless there's some major injuries. They might just throw Yule in because once again, it's America and he's branded as our boy, and he's one of the Americans, so he's in that rotation now. Yeah, personally, I think the Quakes could use all the bodies that they can have right now, so uh, it would just be more of an inconvenience, if anything, if Jackson Yule were to be called up. And Jackson Yule, unfortunately, right now, he hasn't been playing a lot with U.S. Men's National Team, and when he has been, he's been getting a lot of criticism. Most of it, you know, deserved at this point, if we're being honest, but... You've got the likes of Gianluca Busio, Eric Williamson, uh, even like Cole Bassett. That's a good idea, actually. Call up Cole Bassett, you know, another Western Conference team. Even though we don't play the Rapids again, you know, give him a shot. <laughs> I know it's not a, a – this is La Liga, but Musa didn't get called up for the last one because he was just coming out of injury. That kid is, yeah. should be starting every game. <laughs> All right. And I agree with you there. We got a lot of uh, social media comments and questions and observations. We'll start off with uh, some of my friends here. Uh, We got a couple of my friends who occasionally uh, keep up with my podcast, but they're LAFC fans. Kevin Castro uh, notes the amount of injuries of LAFC and claims he isn't worried about the loss. And I didn't include in this uh, document the the emojis he usually uses when he's trying to pretend like he's not worried, but... If I were an LAFC fan, uh, I would be worried. (laughs) Um, Um, It it doesn't shock me that he's not concerned about loss because that's all LAFC is known as losing. Sure, y'all can get a support shield. But uh, you know what's really cool about an Earthquakes jersey? There's two really cool things about it. There's these two two pretty stars that are usually right here. Don't worry, maybe one day you guys can get a star. It's really cool when you guys get to play us and see the stars. But uh, just keep, keep enjoying those losses, all right? Yeah, I'm sure they get a kick out of that response. We got one more LAFC fan here from David, uh, David Alcaraz. He asked, will LAFC fire Bob Bradley? And I know your answer will be they should. Sure. And, I, 
And I say that they definitely will if he, the LAFC miss the playoffs. And if he doesn't, it's more likely than not. So maybe I'm giving you false hope, but that's what I think. <laughs> I wouldn't even be shocked if it was like he steps away and then he talks bad about them or if it's <laughs> like we get they fire someone up above and then there's like the godly presence that is Brad. Uh, I don't even sorry. I hope so. Yeah, you know, you hit it on the nail. I hope so. I have a feeling that if Bob Bradley does leave the LAFC in some way, shape, or form this season, his next MLS job, and this would be hilarious, would be Toronto. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. Just putting out one fire and starting another one. Yeah, him and Michael together. At least, at least it's all in one section of a different country. That's yeah. Fine. I think Josie Altidore would request a transfer, I think. Yeah. It's like, I've had enough of you. <laughs> And Deep Towns Chada says, excellent game and important victory for the Quakes. I was at the game, and with only eight games left in the season, how do you feel about the upcoming fixtures? Uh, we didn't think we covered this. Uh, you feel like it's a favorable fixture schedule, and I think that it's going to be a battle. I think that these are games where quakes have to get results in and if they don't they don't deserve to make the playoffs i think it's that's what it's come down to at this point i i it's the i feel like it's a pain in the butt yeah schedule is what it is and uh, yeah we do it since matias has been here we've done it to ourselves every year oh let's win the first four games in the season and then lose the next 12 and then go on a win streak and then the last 12 games are well let's hope something happens literally every season he's been here that has been the theme and we're seeing it again one year we made playoffs, one year we didn't. And now, again, we're going to see whether we make playoffs or not. And it's just frustrating because, like you said earlier, it was like there were winnable games that we either drew or lost, and then we have to go on these crazy runs to make up for it. So it's it's so frustrating. A common theme and something I said throughout the year is if I were to put an individual game into this vortex in its own vacuum, and like a game we lost, I'd be like, this is a fine loss. You lose yeah. games throughout the season. We played well. We don't, we can't afford that because there were games nope. we should have won and we played terribly. <laughs> so we dropped those points already. So I don't even that, remember the question. It's just, yeah. it, it, just the pain and the heartbreak just started to set in. We're at the point of the semester where through no fault of our own or through partially our fault, we didn't get the grades earlier. So now we really have to ace the last few tests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, we had a couple comments from Michael Bustamante Brian Delaporte and Connor the Lawner on Twitter, uh, who praised Kate Cowell, uh, noting uh, Kate Cowell's strength at such a young age is impressive, calling for Almeida to rethink Cowell's current role as a super stub, and thinking that, you know, despite the ups and downs, especially in the second half of the season, Kate Cowell is going places. And I think it's a nice luxury that we don't often have with San Jose Quakes that. Who, who's to say, you know, Kate Cowell, Benji Kekanovich, they're both different players, but it's nice to have them both contributing at this level at this age that they're at. All right. Hot take alert. Tectonic <laughs> take. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I actually disagree with what they say. You think I, uh, so? Okay. Uh, earlier in the, before the all-star break, could not agree more. Yeah. Could not agree more. Three games after the all-star break, could not agree more. And was confused why he wasn't starting. Like I said, versus Fierro, even when he's not playing well, he creates space for us. He creates chances. It's electric. He's improving his game. 
Big complaint of him last year. He didn't finish his 1v1 chances. All he worked right. on in the summer was 1v1 chances. Starts to put him away. Still our second top goal scorer. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Three games after the All-Star game since, I have seen a very, very, very steep regression in his play. Mm. It is All it is is run down. He's holding onto the ball way too much. Runs down the wing. It's effective. It's effective. Then he cuts back, kills the play because he won't play a ball back. Or he looks, he tries to dribble and looks for a perfect ball, doesn't find it. Also doesn't play early balls with his left foot ever. Rarely plays early balls, but doesn't play with his left foot right now. And he's just not linking up well. I thought when uh, J-Bo was still here, I thought those two were doing wonderful together. But mm-hmm. the last couple games, he's been really struggling to connect with his teammates. He's, it's it's Pulisic's same problem when he's on the national team. When they're just playing their roles and they're just being them and they're just trying to play and do simple things, they are so unbelievably effective with their quick moves, their pace, this, that, and the other. When they try being the hero and the all-star, they hold on to it for too much and they end up hurting us and taking out a spot. And it really can hurt us at times. Now, I still think he, like you said, he's young, has room to grow. I think Matias is actually very good uh, pl- at player management. We've seen it with Chofis especially. And I think we've mm-hmm. seen it with Cal and some of the other young players. And I think he has room to grow. But these last couple of games, I've seen a steep, steep regression. And most of his plays have become very pattern play. And what I mean by that, and you, you see it in American soccer, but you do not see it in others, is if you're like, wow, that was such a good passing play. Look at all these passes together. It's just drills, like where it's I pass here, you pass here, just quick little one-twos. It's never something really creative because anytime you see those really good passing plays or those really good runs in behind, it's always come. it always comes from the wings or in a special spot. It's never creativity through the middle on the fly. Correct. Um, excellent points there. And it has been difficult for Cal for a plethora of reasons. I think a part of it is that more and more uh, defenses that he's playing against, and especially now with MLS's schedule tendencies to play teams three times and of that nature, that they have more opportunities to adapt and learn Kate Cowell's game. And he's still young, so he hasn't been able to make that next adaptation like a game of chess. So hopefully he'll continue to add to his game and maybe we'll he's due for a big game sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Golden. I think it'll be fine. I think it's, I think it's just a small streak. I think Almeida can help him and he gets some other coaches throughout his career. I think he'll be fine. He just needs to do what he did last summer and understand, Hey, I know I'm good. I'm, I know I'm this, but I still have a lot to work on. And he was very humble about it. And I, I praise him for that. Cause a lot of players won't do that. So long as he keeps keeping that attitude, I think it'll be fine. I think he, he struggles more as a sub because it takes his touch a little bit to get in, but he'll be fine. Yeah, I think he definitely will be. Okay, Cal, he's got the talent, and he'll put it together. Uh, Goldrank on Discord admits that his opinions on trophies has turned around since the beginning of the season, saying he's an incredible player. And it's nice to see that. It's hard to admit when you think your first impression of a player is, why would we sign him? And the first few games after that don't do a lot to alleviate those feelings. But sometimes it takes a little bit of time, and who knows, maybe – Chofis might still have, since there's still eight games left in the season, he might have a spell of two or three games where he doesn't play as well. And maybe he's playing so well right now that it's not sustainable, but maybe he continues, like, not scoring every game, of course, but he gets a goal, he gets an assist, or games he doesn't do that, he's very involved in the attack. 
I, I've been Jacob and I have literally said since the first episode of this podcast. Yeah, it, we think Chofis is an incredible talent, and that that's very that's one thing a lot of American fans just think because they didn't grow up watching the European game as much. They just they don't notice it as much because in American sports it's very like it's a lot simpler. It's like I make the three pointer, I'm doing well. I miss the three pointer, I'm not doing well. Right. And mm-hmm. with Chofis, our biggest complaint with him all season, what. He's great when he's on the ball. It's just few and far between when he gets it. His vision, his creativity is excellent. He can find a pass so unbelievably well. As we can see with his left foot, he's an absolute sniper. His confidence is building. He trusts the coach. He clearly likes the coach. And someone who was considered a troubled player in the past has Mm -hmm. now found someone that can clearly be a mentor to him. So I think that's another reason we should keep Almeida. I know that wasn't the question, but because he clearly has like some he's a i don't want to say a troubled player but at least reports have said it in the past yes. and matias has done a good job with him seems like he cares for him maybe a father-son bond there i don't know mm-hmm. uh at least a mentor role there but yeah he is just an absolutely great talent and i it just that's what bugged me early in the season especially when we were losing everyone continued blaming him. oh he's chubby he doesn't run he doesn't do this it's like it, it was the same thing with erickson when he wasn't great you need that hold up plate it's just there's more to the game. It's, it's like Draymond Green. He doesn't mm-hmm. get all the stats and stuff, but he helps it. it. It's a piece to the puzzle that holds everything together. You need role players. You can't just have your best 11 stars out there. You need those role players. And don't get me wrong. Trophies is a star, a yeah. bonafide star, but he's also plays roles that people do not realize. Yeah. And I say this as well with Christian Espinoza there. He goes through stretches where, he's not even getting assists and you know, if he gets assists, he's not getting a lot of goals, but taking Christian Espinoza off this roster, unless you were actually able to sign a DP that galaxy or an FC would uh, you're making this team significantly worse because of the qualities he possesses. And I feel a similar way with trophies and it took him a while to get going, but now that he has like, he's breathed life into this quakes team. And I think everyone's feeding off of it. I think Espinosa has been struggling due to the loss of Vaco, where mm-hmm. they really complemented each other's styles and defenses had to spread out more to see him. But I think Espinosa's game really suits the Earthquakes game. Espinosa's best quality is when he's running at pace at defenders, and there's not, especially when it's a one v one. It's very few defenders who I've seen beat him consistently, if any. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our style of play is hey, one v one, go chase yeah. the ball. And his work <laughs> plays into our hands. <laughs> yeah, his work ethic is incredible. The stadium loves him. The fans love him. I, I would, I'd be shocked if they sold him or would want to. Mm-hmm. All right, we got a couple more questions here. Uh, Ollie on Twitter asks, uh, "Who surprised you the most this season? Trophies or Benji? You already explained that it would be Benji in your case, since you seemed sold on trophies from the beginning." Uh, and yeah, I will also agree with Ollie who picked Benji that I wasn't expecting Benji to play this well and beyond the goals that he has scored that he's shown the guts to take players on. He's shown the skill needed to play at this level this quick into his career. Usually uh, there's maybe a handful of players out of the MLS Super Draft that become instant starters for their teams and Maybe Benji's still not an established starter. There might still be more rotation on that front. Well, I hope not. Uh, Benji has been the curve for what you'd expect from an MLS Super Draft pick. Uh, 
maybe rookie of the year who knows probably not because probably i'm sure not. there's some rookies who have played more consistently than he has but you know it this isn't like other sports leagues where draft picks are instant contributors so you gotta be happy with what he's done yeah i'd imagine rookie of the year is probably Caden clark or they'll probably get a if the commissioner's picking it might be Jade cal but um <laughs> Yeah. we've all seen it. We've all seen players transfer leagues, transfer teams. And you're like, Oh, he was so good here. And then all of a sudden he transfers teams and he's a nobody. He can't do anything. The one thing, the one thing in soccer that will, it doesn't matter what league you transfer to. It doesn't matter if you're playing fourth division, first division. Mm-hmm. One thing that transfer is if you know how to score a goal, you know how to score a goal that doesn't change. And, uh, Jacob actually had the privilege when he went to one of UC Davis games, getting to see Benji play against UC Davis um, before he signed and just the pace, the power. You always wonder if it's going to translate into the league and clearly he's adapted quite well. Mm-hmm. And then he's a proven goal scorer. So it, it's great to see him start to get some, and he seems to be a confident guy. So, but more confidence in his play gain more opportunities. So uh, I'm not really shocked with either doing well. I'm shocked. It just took him so long to get consistent minutes. <laughs> We got one more question from a listener and then we got a couple from some fellow uh, podcast contributors and then we'll go into a preview for the next two games. John Washington asked, this performance is replicable in the away fixture coming up for LAFC on the reverse. And I think it all depends on how fast their players heal up and if they rush them back. And it could go one of two ways. It could go even worse than it did before if they've rushed players back who aren't ready and forced them to play as a starter or that, you know, time healed their wounds enough to the effect that they can play harder and they have more personnel and that can make a difference there. I think the one possibility I can see where things go differently, if it's the same exact starting 11, which even then it probably won't be because there's always a bit of rotation here and there is if the LAFC mindset is, you know, we dominate in the stats, we got to turn those stats that were in our favor into production on the field. If they work on that in practice and they're able to uh, blindside uh, San Jose earthquakes. And it also depends on how many points they pick up in between those games, because that affects the mentality as well. So even though, it's only a few weeks away. There's still a whole lot that can happen between now and then. I think they're a bunch of bums, and I hope they don't make playoffs. There you go. There you have it, John Washington. <laughs> yeah. All right. So some fellow Tectonic Takes members here. Uh, Abel asks, uh, what factor did the Quakes defense play against the LAFC? It's a rare clean sheet, and the, they were able to – pretty hold, much hold their own. I think the most dangerous chances, one hit the crossbar, and JT Morsikowski had to make a save. Uh, corners, you know, they had a couple of those, but they felt like they were in control of what they could control. They had a few yellow cards, but it felt like a very focused performance. Uh, I think the biggest stars of the defense were Ramadi and Judson. I, mm-hmm. think, I think the back four did all right. It was about 60 40 50 50 on their challenges uh i think maybe marcus lopez was much higher i think he was like 90 10 honestly i I feel like he did a great job shutting down that side 
but I really feel like Ramadi and Judson were running all over the place and the fours helped a little bit on that wing. It was, it was a real team performance of packing together and double team, but those two in particular, I feel like the only time LAFC really got chances is when those two would lunge in and then they would either both miss or they just got outnumbered. Any, but otherwise, I feel like those two were the key to either stopping or forcing it out wide. So there'd be a double team or something else. I remember Nathan having to make like a 30-yard run because there was an overtop of the ball. And then Judson comes like 60 yards across to double team and wins the ball for a throw-in. Yep. So th- you can't talk about the defense without talking about our defenders in midfield. That's a very good point, says. <laughs> yeah, and then because I'm a giant Tommy Thompson fan, uh, I'd also like to say we didn't concede any chances once he came onto the field. So, you know, it is what There it is. you go. Yeah. yeah. So Tommy Thompson uh, still has a role to play in this Quakes team, but what exactly that role might be for the rest of this season and in 2022 is up in the air. And that's the question that uh, Danny Betancourt from the L3 pod asked, uh, does he fit in with the Quakes or is it time for him to try and transfer to another MLS club or maybe another league to try to get more minutes? And I think because Tommy Thompson is only really ever known MLS I don't see him, his next move, if he does leave the Quakes, being outside of MLS, nor do I see him uh, dropping to USL Championship. So I think there are some teams that can benefit from Tommy Thompson, but I think there's a good chance that whether it's with Quakes or with someone else, that he does have this role as like a utility player, and maybe you don't always start him, but if you're you're down a fullback, he can sub in for that. If you're double midfield down a midfielder, he can sub in for that. Do you think that Tom Thompson could still be a starter uh, in the for near future? Um, obviously there's some bias because he's my favorite player on the team. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and uh, I think he's way above USL standard, and I don't. Yeah. I think he's great with the Quakes. I I think we he's a home he's our first homegrown. I think we love him. I think he loves it here. I think he has a very, very vital role, actually. And I don't feel like we've played that card yet. And I'm hoping Matias kind of is holding it <laughs> close to his chest. Maybe and we, got a, we got we got a small taste of it last night. Tommy Thompson in the three back formation will be lethal. His biggest criticism when he's a right back is he's not as good defensively. But when he's in a four back position, his overlapping runs are lethal. He absolutely mixed defenders up. He draws mm-hmm. in a double team and wins him and Espinosa. He actually can help him. Now, put him in a three-back where he doesn't have as much defensive responsibilities and he gets to use that creativity. And he's one of our most fit players every year. Top four in the beep test, right? Yeah. It's incredible. It's going to be lethal once he gets healthy. He's a little slow right now because of his knee. It's going to happen. Of course, mm-hmm. give him a couple more reps. He's going to be absolutely lethal. His first game back where he got the start, and I thought Fierro played all right for a couple of minutes in the game, but... I remember, I remember he made one pass that was great and Fierro just didn't run for it. And I remember just the camera cuts to Tommy for half a second. He's just going like opens his eyes. Just like, <laughs> I can't believe you didn't run, but I just, I think he has a great chance. Also, I think we could play him attacking midfielder. I think he's creative. That's where he started. That's why yeah. the earthquake signed him at such a young age because he was such a lethal attacking midfielder. He has a creativity. If we're short options, put him up top. He's creative. He's crafty. But again, in that right that right wing back position, I think he's so lethal. I think he's very vital. This team could be a starter, at least a consistent sub. So uh, again, biasy because my favorite player got to interview him. Thanks, Tom. But uh, <laughs> absolutely love him. Psyched every time he comes to field. Also, one thing that's and this, this could be me capping maybe, but it, 
there are certain players when they come on the field, Nathan's a prime example, when they do little things, it just lights up the stadium and then it fills <laughs> yeah. the whole team. Tommy's one of those players. When he goes down the wing and he's doing all those fakes, he's being one, two players and you get all those oohs and ahs after you haven't had an attack in a while. And then you do that and then you get one more, two more attacks and he's a part of one of those. It builds the momentum of the stadium. It helps the players. So I'm here for Tommy Thompson as captain, starter, U.S. national team. <laughs> he doesn't have that same like childhood connection to the Bay Area that a Wando or a uh, Kikanovich may have, but he feels like he's a Quakes fan that's also a Quakes player. I think he's rolled with the punches like the fans have. He's been in a lot of teams that had to be rebuilt and had gone through large periods of lack of success. But Tommy Thompson has continued to show his worth to San Jose Quakes through it all. And I hope he gets more chances to remind us about that. He helps out in the community a lot. I think that yeah. is, like if people don't see it as much. They'll see a couple things here and there, but he is out and about helping people like reposting things. He he's part of the Bay Area. We love him. Out yeah. Here. yeah. And not to exclude uh, Stockton or 209. Jerry Gonzalez will close out with this question here at Jerry 209. What formation should Almeida go with? Because they can't seem to find themselves comfortable and they haven't lost too many games with a 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-3. So I believe you know, it's definitely been more of a 3-4-3 with, you know, wingers and a striker there. I uh, don't see it called a 3-4-2-1 too often these days, but you get the idea. Uh, Saz, what's your favorite formation for this Quakes team? Um, I I am very nerdy when it comes to soccer. I love tactics. I love dissecting things. Formations are so much fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like a puzzle. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you, you can't just pick one. I think our strong suit has been being flexible with those two formations, the 4-2-3-1 and the three-back. And I think it just depends on our opponent. Like, if we're playing a very pacey, wingy team like Seattle, I don't, I'm not really too sure I want that three-back formation. Maybe get the four-back, be a little bit more solid. Then there's other games where we might possess the ball a little bit more. And I'm going to want a four-back – or sorry, I'm going to want that three-back – or sorry, we're not going to possess the ball and we need that quick counter. Maybe mm-hmm. I want that three-back, get those extra attackers up there, get a right. little more youth. So I can't really answer the question, to be honest. And yeah. It also depends on our health like and who is available. Right. It does depend because – we don't necessarily have enough center backs and full backs where if we're missing even one of them due to injury that we can just choose whichever formation we want. We do have to take in, into consideration those availabilities. And maybe we'll get to a point where everyone's good to go. Like once Tanner Beeson's back, I believe he's our only defensive injury at the moment. We have a bit more room to play around with the formation. But yeah, I think for now I'm okay with it being a case-by-case basis because there was a time when almost everybody in MLS did the 4-2-3-1 and played the same way. But now not every team in MLS plays with the 4-2-3-1. And especially now every team plays their own way. It feels like. Yeah. All right. So thank you to everyone who provided a question, comment, who interacted with us on social media before, during, or after the game. This really makes the experience a lot more fun. And I'm sure you feel the same way says in relation to your podcast, as well as just in general, uh, the game experience. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're nothing without you guys. All three people that listen to my podcast, I really appreciate you. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I went to the RSL. I've gone to most games this season, but RSL game was a ton of fun, obviously, because the trophies hat trick. 
Yeah. The LA game, just those games are always so much more electric, full stadium, screaming, yelling, wanting it. <laughs> like it just adds fuel to the fire that can't be replicated on TV. So it's, it's can't do anything without the fans or nothing without them. Right. So before we uh, close out, we're going to provide some thoughts on the upcoming games and we'll uh, have a tectonic take moment to send you on your way wherever you are listening this podcast quick sponsor shout outs thanks to our sponsor roughneck scarves official scarf supplier to mls usl and u.s soccer get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com if you're tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from nike and adidas if you want a complete custom kit for your youth team adult or pro team Icarus of C can help you create the key of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. They're even more customizable than FIFA's Create Club mode in FIFA 22, but that's a low bar. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, get me started. Uh, so Sounders and Whitecaps. So two games, both Cascadia sides, two different approaches. Uh, we're at Seattle at home. So being at home, we will have the fans supporting us. I think that it is possible that we can escape with the draw, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who, who do you think is, other than Rel Rui Diaz, who would you say is the next biggest threat on their team? Um, oh, is it? Oh, I forget his name. I, I, I don't know if I want to say he's the biggest threat, but this guy is unreal. Uh. Oh, what's their right back name? Is like Gamar, like Gamar Gomez Andrade. He's a center. That back. guy is unreal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah, that. I last time we put Espinosa on him and we moved Cal out wide. Yeah. I, I, or like I don't want Fierro on him. So like just yeah. having to learn how to deal with that. That will be the that will be the tricky part for us. I think. Yeah, he is one of the best defenders in this league. Uh, he's a very solid player, and I remember when I was talking to my fellow MLS Multiplex contributors, trying to come up with our collective uh, MLS uh, all-star roster uh, for fan-sided. I think at a minimum of six or seven Seattle Sounders players received at least one vote to be an all-star from us. So even though they've had their injury issues and they've had to mix things up a bit, play some kids, they are a deep team and they're a solid team. So it's going to be a battle on Wednesday and I look forward to it because there have been times in very recently where it's like, Oh, we're going to play Seattle again. How many scores will this, how many goals will they score against us? But now I feel like this is as good a time as any for Sounders earthquakes to go head to head with them and leave it all out there. This is the game of the rest of the schedule where you have the least to lose. So I hope they play that way. Yeah. I'd like to see some creativity in this game. I don't want to just, roll over and die. I want to see us fighting. I just want to see some creativity. I want to see some bold moves on the coaching staff. Um, and that doesn't mean putting reckless moves. Yeah. yeah Wando <laughs> is attacking mid. Like that means like trying things out, trying the young players, trying to go for it. Don't yeah. just settle with the draw, go for it. Now, absolutely. If it's and we're taking it up the butt and it's one, one park. The bus. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Oh, and also uh, I meant Josh Atencio for my oh, <laughs> for my pick. Yeah, that's that's what it, that's what I mean. Uh, <laughs> definitely not just because I know his uncle. <laughs> All right. So that's going to be very important. And then uh, in the weekend, we travel to British Columbia, Canada. Have you ever been to Canada? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. Hopefully, you get a chance to someday. 
it's been 14 years since I've been, so yeah. I've been waiting to go back. Uh, pandemic screwed a lot of things up. <laughs> is their stadium open now? BC Place, I believe it is. I, at least I might be wrong because I know Canada does a lot of things differently than the United States. But them allowing, yeah, they've had fans for a few games. That's, but that's gonna, It's going to be tough because I know they haven't been able to have an actual home game in a while. Right. So I think they're going to be very pumped. This is a team that just matches up well against us. We usually don't do well for us. I think our best bet is there needs to be one man in the starting lineup that will change the game. And uh, I think he needs to play the entire game. And I think that's our only chance. I think that is Florian Youngworth. I think uh, we, <laughs> I think <laughs> we need to have him in the back line <laughs> for Vancouver. I think do us a solid uh, flow. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's our oh. best opportunity. Yeah. We've interviewed Flo uh, during the off season. I think he seems like a lovely the season guy. started. Yeah. He seems great. It yeah. was so much fun to talk to. Uh, even though I wasn't the one talking to him. Um, it was a shame that it didn't work out for him to move forward with the Quakes because I know he wants to play often and he is still finding his feet with his new team. He hasn't played often with them either for the Whitecaps, but you know, it, he was starting to be phased out a little bit with the other center back options. So Heavy wish, legs. I mean, the guy's yeah. got passion and I loved it and it was sad to see him go, but yeah, it was time. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was great during his time here. And as for other players they have, they have one of the more underrated goalkeepers in the league. I think Maxine Cropo, mm. he saved a penalty that kept their one zero lead intact against FC Dallas. So He's going to be at the top of his game. He is the number two Canada goalkeeper behind Milan Borian. So he's going to be uh, important for Vancouver Whitecaps. And perhaps in qualifying, he might get a game and he might be important for Canada. And their game-changing signing as well, Ryan Gold. Uh, he is a Scottish midfielder. And he is much like Huang Mbom had for Vancouver Whitecaps the last few seasons before he left. Uh, he is the glue that holds the midfield together and keeps their attack going. So I think that midfield battle, if Ryan Gold is allowed to dictate the game, that he's going to make life pretty hard for the Quakes. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, it's MLS, anything can happen. I think they're just one of the teams that match up well against us. So we're going to have to come out strong. Yeah, his name could be Gold, and I could just be overthinking his pronunciation. I apologize uh, if that's the case. But anyway, so what are your predictions for – those two games we'll close it out on that uh i think i i don't know why i'm saying 2-1 loss and then a 1-1 tie uh those are just the first things that come <laughs> to my head uh experience you know <laughs> yeah yeah i'm gonna say those as an analyst as a friend as a fan i'm gonna say 1-0 win us first game 3-1 win the second game okay I think we'll lose one and we'll win one. I think Seattle Sounders, <laughs> it might be a humbling 2 0 win, uh, win for them on Wednesday. Or 0 you never know. <laughs> I hope not. But um, <laughs> yeah. 2 0, we'll go with that. Uh, Sounders will get the job done and they'll further their own goals. Like they're still fighting for something as well. They want to be the one seed in the West and it's still possible for them. They could possibly finish. Uh, realistically, no lower than third, but if they really slip, they could go lower. But yeah, there's still something in it for them. And for the Whitecaps, they are in pretty much the same position as us. So 
we expect a hard-fought battle. I'll go a uh, 3-2 win because we're starting to get some higher scoring one-goal results lately. I think this has the makings of one of those. And one of the most famous ones in recent Quakes history was in the MLS back tournament, 4-3. So Whitecaps have gotten some over on us since then, so we can't underestimate them. This should be a good game, as should the Sounders game. Thank you for your time today, Saz. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Where thanks can, for having me. Yeah, of course. Where can people reach out to you on social media? Uh, Aftershock SJ, pretty much on all social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter. The Facebook's kind of dead, but uh, <laughs> YouTube. Uh, yeah, those are the main spots you can find us. Yeah. Oh, and then uh, Aftershock.club for our website where you can find all our articles. We haven't written one in a while, but our website where you can find all the podcasts, all the main stuff, if you want just the central hub for that. All right, Aftershock, SJ, Twitter and Instagram, Aftershock, and the website one more time? Aftershock.club. Dot .club, not dot .com, dot yeah, .club. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah I, ha- I had to do a double take there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and of course, you can follow me at Ivan Ornelas2 on Twitter. You can follow me at IvanTheWriter95 on Instagram. And you can join our Discord server. Our, you subscribe to our YouTube channel our patreon and we also have our own twitters at tectonic takes for twitter tectonic takes and tectonic takes espanol on instagram and all of our other uh, main contributors will be on our uh, descriptions as you can find either on your youtube video or your podcast wherever you're listening that'll do it tonight um and we'll see you again soon we'll probably record the day after the whitecaps game we'll cover both the sounders and the whitecaps game in one podcast so look out for that and until next time go quakes vamos san jose yeah vamos sj